Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Toronto Real Estate Podcast, the show where we unlock the secrets of the real estate market and provide you with insights to make informed property decisions. Today, we're jumping into a topic on the tip of everyone's tongue, the buyer's market. Why is now, amidst a market slowdown, a golden opportunity for buyers? We're peeling back the layers of psychology and strategy in this unprecedented time. We'll clarify what a buyer's market really means. From understanding why real estate doesn't always follow the sale frenzy of other commodities to discussing the latest predictions from the big five banks on interest rates, we're covering it all. Plus, we're tackling the psychological aspect of waiting on the sidelines. Why do some buyers hesitate when the market is ripe for the picking? So whether you're a renter or a first-time buyer looking to take advantage of current conditions, an upsizer, or simply curious about the current state of real estate, this episode is for you. Don't forget to engage with us. Drop a comment with your thoughts, like this video, if you find the content useful, or of course, subscribe to stay updated with the latest insights that impact your buying power. My name is Ian Busher, and I'm a broker with the Fox Marin team. Please keep her number handy. This is Corey Marin, in-house hype girl and resident expert listing broker, and a good man to know, Mr. Ralph Fox, our analytical, investor-driven macro picture watcher. Now, without further ado, let's get started and unwrap the potential of buying in a buyer's market. Corey, you want to take us away? I'm so happy. This is the most timely episode we could be doing right now. Finally, there's opportunity to buy. There's options. There's choices. There's selections. Buyers, this is called a buyer's market. And then all the buyers, they just disappear. And they go away and they shrink into tiny little violets that I know. Where, where did you go, buyers? Buyers. <laughs> I've got something for you, buyers. Whoa, anyone? 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 <laughs> Come and get it. Let's just start with the basics. Because I, I don't think everyone even understands what a buyer's market actually is characterized by. I think it's a really good place to start. So Ralph, why don't you take that one just to set the stage? Well, there's different types of markets. There's a market where everything is favored by the seller. Everything, the seller has the, the greatest opportunity or amount of leverage. And those situations are typically when there is very little supply and there is a lot of demand. And so in those situations, the seller has a lot of control in terms of their ability to sell and market their property for the highest and best price. A more balanced market is when there's a meeting of the minds between buyers and sellers relative to the amount of inventory that's on the market. So it's balanced. And then a buyer's market is when the buyers generally have all of the control because there's an ample amount of supply and very little buyers. And markets generally tend to work this way in a pendulum. Uh, but what's interesting about Toronto is over the last basically over my entire career, but I would say over the last 24 years, 23 years, it's been strictly a buyer, a seller's market. We've been in a seller's market the entire time. And now lo and behold, uh, we are in a seller's market. There are certain, certain metrics like days on the market or months of inventory, which is data or statistics that will show where we are at from a seller's market to a balanced market to a buyer's market. And I think Corey's going to go a little bit more into some of the data, but it's just really important to know that we are in three types of, there are three types of markets and we have clearly now entered into a buyer's market. And that typically is where if you are a buyer or considering buying, there could be some great windows of opportunity if you believe at some point the market will shift and it'll move back where it's traditionally been as a seller's market. 
100%. Great answer. And I just want to be very clear to the viewers as well that when we look at the data and break it down, we are more in a typical buyer's market, more on the condo side than we are on the freehold side. And so there is a division in those two market segments right now. So if you're a first-time home buyer or somebody who is looking to acquire a second property or is looking to move up from a smaller condo to a larger condo, for example, or you're looking to downsize perhaps, the condo segment, I believe, is where the greatest opportunity is with the greatest saturation of inventory. And when you flex the muscle of the data equation, it will read more supply on the condo side for the amount of buyers that are out there. Do you both agree with that? Mm -hmm. Partially. Mm -hmm. I've seen some amazing opportunities on the buy side. We have a team member who just got uh, uh, some clients a really cute two-bedroom house for under a million dollars. And to think that would be possible six months ago, I would literally scoff. Um, so there are those type of opportunities. And there's also opportunities even at the two plus million dollar range to enter into the market uh, in a way that we just haven't seen before. So while we're not to the same degree on low rise as we are in high rise and condos in a buyer's market, there's definitely a lot more inventory. There's a lot more sitting on the market. There's still great opportunities for buyers. And we are still trending towards the direction of it moving into a buyer's market, if not already being on the cusp of one. Yes. And on the low rise side, there's actual rational pricing happening, not irrational pricing, where you're like, this doesn't even make sense what this property Mm -hmm. is selling for. So buyers out there, you might be able to wrap your head around the costs uh, to acquire a low-rise or freehold house and then a condo, of course, as well. So I do want to explain for the viewers what exactly is the absorption rate because it's a really helpful tool when you're trying to wrap your head around all of these numbers and these data points and you want to get educated on what's happening in Toronto real estate. So What the absorption rate is, is basically taking the amount of active listings that are out there, so product on the market, and dividing it by the amount of transactions, and that gives you what we call months of supply. So imagine if in Toronto, we did not list one new property on the MLS system. How long would it take in comparison to the amount of buyers chomping up all the inventory how long would it take for us to eat through all that inventory? So in a seller's market, and we've all experienced this, where we've had one and a half weeks, two and a half weeks, three weeks of supply. That is peanuts. And that is why we are seeing things selling with 10 offers, 20 offers, selling for $300,000 over the list price. Things selling zero days on the market or selling on a bully offer. We did not have the amount of supply for the demand. So I'm going to give you today's current months of supply. So we're taking today's active listings on the MLS system, which is just under 20,000 listings across the board, all asset classes. So we're talking freeholds here, low rise, duplexes, triplexes, condos, condo town homes, and we're dumping it all in. And we have almost 20,000 active listings. The amount of transactions that have gone through the system over the last month is about 4,500. So in a total for all of the Toronto Real Estate Board, we're at about four to four and a half months worth of supply. So that is definitely what's considered on paper 
a balanced market. So once we get to over six months supply on paper, then we're technically in a buyer's market, okay? One thing to note, which is also crazy, is we have 50% more inventory online than we did last year at this time. Wow. Wow. 50%. And last year at this time, we were down. Yes. Buyers, there's a lot more selection out there. There's a lot more time out there to go hunting for something, to find something that you want, to do your due diligence. And we're going to talk about all of those things shortly, but I just want to lay the groundwork on what all of this means. Okay. So we've got 50% more inventory. We're definitely on paper in a balanced market. So days on market, that's a term that we often hear. So I just want to explain what that actually means. Because again, people are like, oh, DOM, DOM. And you're like, what are you talking about? DOM, the DOM, you know, delayed muscle onset soreness. Like what are we talking about? DOM perineal. Yeah, DOM perineal, the DOM, the DOM. So we use two different abbreviations to differentiate days on market. One is listing days on market. Okay, so how long is a specific MLS number been on the market for and how long has it taken that house or that condo to sell, including the conditional period, okay? So listing days on market on average right now is 21 days. However, the Toronto Real Estate Board now measures another important metric, which is the total property days on market, okay? This is a big difference. Because what we're seeing more than ever before is listings go on and off the market. So for example, a property gets listed for a million, they can't sell it, they take it off the market, they relist it for 900,000, it gets a brand new MLS number, but obviously the address hasn't changed. So we're tracking that address, that specific property, and how long does it take for that property to sell through with all their on and off, on and off the MLS system? So the total average property days on market right now is 32. So just over a month, okay? That And that includes the conditional period. So anyone who needs a condition of financing, inspection, status certificate review, all that due diligence period is clumped into that too. So basically, you've got a month on your side as a buyer to go look at properties. You've got time to go to an open house. You have time to bring your parents. You have time to do an inspection. You have time to put conditions in your offer. You've got a little bit more time on your side, which we've never had, at least my experience as a broker. Buyers have never had this privilege before. So it gives you a little bit more breathing room to be able to figure out what you want to do and make a choice that's right for you. All right. And then I also wanted to reiterate, because we talked about this in our last podcast, about how much inventory is actually out there. Okay. So as of today, when I pulled these numbers for this podcast today, there are 5,700 condo listings on the market today. So just under 6,000 options out there and only 125 condos sold firm last week. And what area is this for, Corey? Can you oh, clarify? This is all of the Toronto Real Estate Board. Okay. That's just, just a, just a little just sliver of geography. Those are just staggering numbers. To me, it shocks me. And then as of today, there are 2,871 freehold or low-rise listings on the market. So obviously less than condos, as we talked about at the beginning, but only 133 sold firm last week. So what we're not seeing and talking about, and we briefly touched on this, and I think we should just dive a little deeper before we move on, 
is what is really throwing people off is the Toronto Real Estate Board reports on statistics every month. And we compare those stats year over year. And sometimes we compare compare month to month. But when we see sell-through, so days on market, average price, average percentage to list, everything that we usually measure to be like, how is the market doing? All it's measuring is what has actually sold. It is not measuring all this inventory that's just out there sitting. And so it hasn't caught up yet to what's actually going on because we've got all of the supply that is stalemate, like it's collecting dust. It doesn't, we don't have statistics on it because it's just sitting there. So we're only measuring what's selling. And as you just heard, we're not really selling very much in comparison to how much is on the market. So the market stats are not telling the full story. And I think we're going to see that catch up and we're going to start to see the prices falling off due to the fact that we have more supply than we do demand right now. Well said. Thank Mm -hmm. you, Corey. Mm -hmm. That's your education session with me today. All right. So... Many buyers are waiting on the sidelines during this slump. So what psychological factors are at play here? And how do these individuals rationalize their decision just to wait? Talk to me about that. I'll just jump in here. Uh, Residential real estate is possibly one of the highest emotionally driven decisions most people will ever make because it's your home, it's your future, it's your life, it's your goals. And one of the things that's so interesting about human psychology is is people tend to want something when other people want it. And one of the things you hear a lot uh, historically about Toronto real estate is FOMO, fear of missing out. And so when there's 10 people offering on a property and you can't get in to see it, that's when everybody starts to want to jump in. But the sad part is, is that of human psychology is that the opposite is also true. But therein lies the greatest opportunities for investment of all time. Warren Buffett, be greedy when people are fearful and fearful when people are greedy. Uh, Now there's a lot of fear and our sort of running philosophy or thesis right now at Fox Marin was over the next six month window, and we can get into why, but over the next six month window, there's going to be an incredible opportunity to get into the market while everybody is afraid and everyone is sitting on the sidelines and you have the opportunity to buy at really great prices. And I don't think we're quite there yet, but it is coming if you look at the numbers. And if you go beneath those numbers and you look at the underlying fundamentals that have driven the Toronto real estate over the last 30 years, those are only getting stronger. And so once this interest rate inflation sort of paradox blows over, and if you listen to every major bank and every economist, it's coming. And when that comes, there will be a tremendous opportunity between now and then to have made some really smart investments or to have taken some major steps to advance your family and your family's opportunities and lifestyles by a quantum leap. And so it's a pretty amazing time, and it's just incredible to see how people are reacting at a time where they should be moving forward. And if you look at the idea, presuming they can financially, obviously, and the idea if you go in a store and everything's 20% off, people will 
line up to buy They'll stuff. Lose you, it. Look at, you look at the riots at Walmart on, uh, on Black uh, Friday, you know, Black Friday or um, uh, Boxing Day. Yeah, Boxing Day. People get killed, mm-hmm. and 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 yet you take that mentality and you apply it to real estate, and it doesn't apply at all. So it's really, really interesting. And we've seen it happen and play out so many years in so many different market cycles. This is the amazing generational opportunity coming up right now. And so if you're watching this, um, it's really worth thinking about what things are going to look like over the next six months and then extrapolating what things could look like in the next three to four years. It's interesting to hear buyers say, I just want to wait until the market gets better. That is so interesting. We're like, this is the market getting better for you as a purchaser. It's not Mm -hmm. the market getting better for you if you're a seller, but as a buyer, I've never experienced a market like this before in my career. And yes, interest rates are higher, but there is an opportunity to buy in, not necessarily compete, get something at a healthy price that's palatable at least, not overpay, not be in a bidding war, And then when interest rates start to come down, you can refinance and readjust. And you'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm freaking a genius for Mm -hmm. buying in a buyer's market. (laughs) I really think that in five years from now, people will be saying, in 2023, I invested in Toronto real estate or in 2024. And can you believe what I paid for this property or these properties? Yes, and I think it'll be a joke. Or and, they'll be saying, we, oh my gosh, I'm kicking myself for not buying in 2023, 24. What was I thinking? That will be the other side of the equation. And they'll talk about like the way you know people who talk about, you know, thinking about buying a condo for $175,000 in 2010. And you're like, why didn't you do that? And they're like, I don't know. I thought it was expensive. There was fear. So it's it's the same type of thing. And if you talk to or read the biographies of any billionaires or self-made investors, there'll always always be a story of how a company or wealth, huge, significant wealth was created during these times of fear and during these times of recession. And um, with every negative situation, there is always positive upside and opportunity. And there really is that if you're really able to rationally cut out all the emotions and actually look at the data and look at the undermining factors of the market, it becomes quite clear. I was taking some notes as the two of you were talking and I hit along, hit a bunch of the same points. So just as Ralph was saying, you know, human beings tend to do what every other human being is doing. There is a, there's this trend to want to be normal and go with the flow. There's this mob mentality Mm -hmm. around, don't do that. And you don't want to be shamed for being the person who thinks differently and does something in a different way, even if that actually is the most logical, reasonable, and best investment advice that you could take. Don't do something different and don't get shamed at that dinner party or when you're out with your friends or wherever it is you're socializing as like, you did what? Right now? Mm -hmm. Really? That was stupid. And, you know, I, I think on the flip side of that, when this does turn around, yeah, you will be the one where everyone's like, so when are you making another move? Because I should be following you rather than shaming you on this because you were right and it is fear. It's fear of missing out. And I think we talked about this around this time last year. I think we had a couple of people who said, I'm just waiting for it to hit the bottom. I'm trying to time the market. And 
I think by the time you feel like it has hit the bottom, it's rebounded and it's on its way back up. And we're going to be right back to a seller's market. So if you're waiting for the bottom of the market, you don't need it to be the bottom, but you need these indicators that we currently have that we're in a bit of a valley. So jump on it right now. You know, would you rather buy a stock when it's surging ahead and everyone else is buying it and it's as expensive as it could be? Or would you rather have an insider tip that says, it's currently 25% off, grab this, hold it for the long term, just like real estate, and ride it on its way back up. And if I had the capital myself to pick up another property right now, I would certainly be doing it. Oh my gosh. Damn the criticism. Yes. And do exactly what you said, Corey. The rates are a little bit higher. They're not interest rate high like there were for our parents in the 80s and the 90s. They're a little higher. They're still actually quite reasonable. But yeah, learn about refinancing, learn about what a terrific opportunity that this is. And that's what we're here for, is to sort of say, buyers, this is a great opportunity. Don't follow the mob mentality. Think for yourself and, and get educated on it. Yes. It reminds me of something similar to that, not specific to real estate, but I had this great job in my late 20s. I got paid really well. It was super cushy. I work, it was a very sexy job. We got all these like benefits, including a BlackBerry, for those of you who remember what that was. You know. Side wheel? Swanky. Oh, yeah. We got Swanky. Side wheel? Swanky. Oh, yeah. Side wheel, for sure. I love those phones. Me too. And laptop, and we flew all over to all over North America, and we stayed at great hotels, and we took clients to clubs, and we went golfing. Like, it was pretty cushy. But it wasn't really the most fulfilling thing I had ever done. I'm like, this is not my life trajectory. Like, what am I going to become? A manager, a sales manager, and then a director of sales and a VP of sales. Like, this is not who I am. And so I happened to sell a piece of real estate that I had acquired that I really stretched myself to, to purchase. And that's a whole other story. And it ended up doing ridiculously well on the sale, like more than I ever projected. And all of a sudden, you know, I netted my goal plus an extra $50,000 that I never anticipated making. And as somebody in their late 20s with an extra $50,000 and a nice cushy job, you're like, when am I ever going to be in this place and space and time ever again? I'm like, I'm going to resign from this job and I'm going to travel for a year. And I cannot tell you the amount of people who told me this is the stupidest thing you could ever do. People came to my office, people called me, people booked meetings. I sat with managers, I sat with VPs, I sat with my colleagues, I sat with my friends, and not one person was supportive of this idea because it went against Ian, as you referenced, the mob mentality. It wasn't average, it wasn't normal, people don't do this, people don't leave this type of job. People are like, what are you going to do when you get back? You're going to be screwed. And I was like, this is definitely the right thing to do. And the more people told me not to do it, the more I wanted to do it even more. And the more that it bugged people that I was doing it, the more inspired I was to go. And it honestly was one of the best decisions I ever made was going against the grain and taking that year and traveling and adventuring and doing things that people will never do in their lifetime. So I had the balls to take a risk. And it's almost like that taught me so much about just, life in general, that when people want to stay comfortable and cozy and tucked in, it just makes me want to do the exact opposite thing. It's really interesting. Like the idea, if you want to get the same results in life as everybody else, well then do what everybody else is doing. Well said. And there's a really good quote by Peter Thiel. And Peter Thiel is a sort of renegade 
outspoken billionaire, founded PayPal, early days Facebook, Tesla investor, um, SpaceX. And uh, he wrote a book and his book was really interesting because he talked about when he would hire to people to work for him and he would have his pick of the litter from Harvard and basically all the top Wharton, all the top rated business schools. He would sit there and he would ask them a question. He would say, tell me something that you believe to be true that very few people believe in. And he was like, I was just stunned by the amount of people, all these educated, smart, young business minds that couldn't come up with anything, couldn't say anything. And that really is the key. If you look at Warren Buffett or any great investor from real estate to stock market to business, there are always people who see opportunities and move in the opposite direction of mm -hmm. the crowd. Mm -hmm. And being contrarian is probably one of the best recipes for financial and life success if you want to do, be, and have more than just the average. Yes. I have one more story about that too, and Ralph, you'll know exactly what I'm talking I know, about. I know the one you're going to say right now. So we've talked about this on one of our first, 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 first podcasts. So I'm sorry if you've heard this before, but Ralph and I were really stretching ourselves to expand our real estate portfolio. And we had an opportunity to acquire pre-construction, a little tiny studio on the Lower East End. And we really didn't have the capital for it, but we could have probably figured it out. And it was like, ugh, do we want to put some more money into real estate and all, you know, these deposits? Like everyone knows it takes sweat equity and work and focus and discipline and you not necessarily taking a trip to Greece every summer when you do these types of things, make these types oh, of acquisitions. Like, can we go to Greece this summer? <laughs> yeah, hopefully. I'd like to go. Oh my gosh. So we were like humming and hawing and we had an assistant at the time who was lovely, but she no longer works with us. Um, hi, if you're listening, because we miss you and we've always wondered how you're doing. Um, anyways, she said to us, guys, 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 I don't think that you should buy it. I don't think you should buy this. Don't do this to yourself. Don't put yourself into a more stressful situation. I think you've done enough. And legitimately, as soon as she said that to us, Ralph and I are like, we're buying it. Like it just motivated us in two seconds. And it wasn't just me and it wasn't just Ralph. It was both of us. It put the spark in us. We went out, we bought that condo and we still have it to this day. And to this day, it's probably one of the best acquisitions we've ever made. And still, even with everything going on with the variable rate and rents and this and that, it's still cash flowing, this baby. Like this baby has well, think, done so well. I think well. we bought it for $215,000. <laughs> still. It was like one yeah. of the best condos we've ever purchased. And it's because she told it's because she told us not to. Yep. That's why. Too funny. My own personal example is the financial crisis in 2008. Yes. Just after it happened, I put the largest sum of money into investments right after. I was like, There's, this has nowhere to go but up. Yes. This is not going to stick around. This is not impacting us long term. Yep. And I took a huge chunk of money and said, I'm gambling on this going up. And? It's still in there. <laughs> it's cooking and away. It did. Nice. It did. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. No, oh, so important. I'm so glad that we're talking about these things. I just want to circle back on one topic. So we were talking about how buyers will have to move through these challenging times that we're in right now to acquire real estate, including the higher interest rates. But beneath that, 
there are some underlying fundamentals in the Toronto real estate market that will eventually drive the market back up. And I would just like to refresh our audience as to what those fundamentals are so they can have some confidence that the market is going to rebound if they buy something today. For sure. So the two major drivers of any market, the major drivers are supply and demand. And while higher interest rates and an inflationary period like we're in have put a lot of pressure on housing supply in the current time, meaning that there's a lot more inventory coming to market, developers are also facing those same pressures. And so developers now, their cost to finance has gone up 3x. Their cost to build has gone up significantly and their ability to sell pre-construction has gone down significantly because the demand isn't there. There's been a huge drop in new construction sales as more and more developers are just putting projects on hold and not even going to market. And you're looking at numbers, the equivalent of about 2010, 2011 in terms of new home sales. I saw that. I think we're going to hit around maybe 12,000, 14,000 when typically we'd be in 20 to 25 territory. Like we're literally almost down by half. What that is going to do is it's dramatically going to curtail the amount of supply coming in the future at a time where we're already super pressed with new inventory coming to market. And we're seeing housing starts at, you know, 10, 20 year lows. So the pipeline that we have in the future, three, four years down the road, is going to completely dry up. Now, that is also happening in tandem with the immigration that we're getting, a million plus people into Canada every year. Ontario has about 500,000 people coming here every single year. And if you look at the stats and projections by the CMHC, It says by 2036, we will need two and a half million new homes in Ontario to reach affordability. Uh, In the last 10 years, we produced 670,000 homes in Ontario. The uh, Conservative government is sworn to hit a level of 1.5 million. And if they break seven, 800,000 over the 10 year span, we're already falling behind. I would be highly, highly surprised. So we have this massive immigration coming in. We have waves of first-time buyers, uh, millennials coming up, 9 million Canadians, one-third of the population is uh, millennials, all getting a lot, getting help from their parents Mm -hmm. for first-time deposits. And so we will have a groundswell of demand coming up and coming in with more and more and more constrained supply. And so just basic economics is... Prices are going to be a lot more expensive in the future. And while interest rates are high, it's also important to know right now that affordability hasn't really changed much, meaning I'm just making these numbers up, but a $1.8 million house at a 2% mortgage and a $1.5 million house at a 5% mortgage, the carrying costs are virtually not that much different. And so affordability hasn't changed, but if you have the opportunity to buy in at these prices and refinance three, four years down the road, you'll put yourself in a really, really, really strong position. I think that's just the, all you need to know. It's the most, when you talk about it, I get motivated. I feel like I'm like, I want to buy something tomorrow when we talk about this every time. The problem problem is, is that people try and overcomplicate it and they try and bring in all kinds of 
extraneous facts or emotional facts or what, you know, emotional base, you know, like tidbits or whatever. But if you just understand basic supply and demand and know where we've been over the last decade and how this is going to play out over the next decade, it's just common sense to see where this is going. I mean, we had Ben Myers, uh, who's a very well-respected analyst and economist on the show a few weeks ago. And I asked him point blank, like, where do you see a one-bedroom condo in downtown Toronto being by 2030? And he said a number just shy of 1.1 million. Um, so, you know, the writing is on the wall. It's just a question of understanding that we are going through the end of an interest rate cycle, whether we're there yet or whether there's a little more further to go. We are getting there. Economies all work in cycles. We are coming to the end of a cycle as a result of excess spending that came in through the uh, co- through COVID. And it's just working its way through the system. And when people are most scared, this is when the opportunity is, if you understand what the long-term opportunity of investing in a a city like Toronto and a country like Canada. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that you don't have to start at your dream house. You can start at the first rung of the property ladder. You can start with, just like we talked about that little baby studio. We love that guy. You could start with a one plus den. You don't, or you could start with a small row house or, or semi-detached house. Maybe it's not in your prime neighborhood with a white picket fenced and a pool in the back and, you know, three stories and a private driveway, but like, it's just your seedling. It's just your starting position. And if you have it, and especially with low rise, if you have a good eye and are willing to do some work or you're a little bit handy, those type of properties are sitting right now. And if you have a vision and you know that over time, the market will turn around and over time you can continue to add value to the property. It's such a tremendous opportunity right now. So Ian, you often talk about this and I love it so much when you're like, It'd be just amazing for our buyers to have the opportunity to purchase a home that they genuinely like, opposed mm-hmm. to just buying whatever they can. Can you just explain mm-hmm. the difference for our viewers today when you talk about that? Because I love when you talk about this anecdote. <laughs> I guess what you're trying to say is that basically when the market is on fire and Every week, there's a handful of new properties, but there's hundreds and hundreds of buyers all competing for them, all within a particular price range or neighborhood. It's like a card game. You just keep playing hand after hand, and you might offer 10, 12, 15 times before finally becoming the one who actually acquires the house. But at some point, you just start offering on anything that kind of checks some of the boxes. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even necessarily need to be something that you love. And finally, you end up with one, and you're like, oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> as a buyer, great, we got something. What, what did we buy again? Does it does it have laundry? How many bedrooms was it? Like we just got caught up in trying to win. So it, it becomes this emotional, uh, very highly competitive game. And now, Corey, you mentioned before, buyers have so much more time to think about these things and contemplate uh, on 99% of properties and do their due diligence and maybe do their own inspection and talk to their mortgage broker before going in without conditions, maybe go in with conditions, a chance to negotiate. But on top of all that, you can do it on a property where you've checked all the boxes and said, it has the number of bedrooms I need. I like the school district. I like that it's got a powder room on the main floor. I've been to see it two times and went to the open house. So all of those things mean that buyers can actually go out 
take the time to find a property that really speaks to them rather than just grab a hold of anything as it's going by. Yes. And how many buyers have we had in that position where it does get like that? They literally are like, I just don't even care at this point. I just want to be done with this process. I want to be Mm -hmm. done with this emotional up and down. I Mm -hmm. hate this. I hate this. I hate Toronto. (laughs) I hate these houses. Just get me something. And so it totally gets like that. One million. Looking under rocks for an extra 100,000 on your way home (laughs) from taking your deposit check back for the 18th time. And you know, this is true when, say, you have buyers that are looking for a house that's, I don't know, on the East End and they have a budget of 1.4 million. When you go show, when 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 the supply is low and you go show those properties, you see the same buyers that are represented by yes. different agents yeah. Yeah. At, at every single house as you're going along your little tour because there's only like six of them that week to see. And then you keep seeing the same buyers with their agent as you're doing your tour and you all drop off your cards and you see them and you say hello to them. And then on offer date, guaranteed, they will be offering on it as well. And you're like, I, I know exactly who my competition is. It's like, and there's two two types of people in that. The ones that scowl at each other when they see each other. Yes. And the ones that are like, oh, hey. <laughs> just saw you 10 minutes ago waiting for the keys from the last place we were seeing. Would you like a coffee? I'll meet you at the next yeah. house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're laughing because you have to laugh or you'll go crazy. Yes, right? you have like to laugh. Like it's ridiculous. It's actually funny. Okay, so you had mentioned, Ian, um, that buyers might have the opportunity for conditions in their mm-hmm. offer. So... Why is this important? And for our viewers today that are on the sidelines watching what's going down, how can the conditions in their offer help them today to buy a house or a condo in this market? They think as a buyer, it's going to bring you comfort that you've done all of your due diligence. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that we could do uh, when everything was holding back offers. It had to be done before the offer day. So you were investing that five, six, seven hundred dollars into an elaborate inspection. And you might have been somebody who knows an awful lot about a house you didn't end up getting. It'll be beneficial absolutely for the buyer if you can get a condition of inspection in there. And if the deal doesn't come together, you haven't paid for it yet. The other thing, the reason why the inspection is beneficial to the seller as well is that the buyer should be satisfied with that before actually going firm on the deal so that they're, you know, this, this is kind of protecting them in a way that a third party has looked at it and made sure that everything's uh, hunky-dory before moving forward. Can't tell you the last time I said hunky-dory. I never (laughs) used that expression. I don't know where that came from. (laughs) The condition of finance, the other most common condition is amazing for everybody because in this topsy-turvy market, what's difficult is pricing and appraisal and lenders are jumpy too. And they want to make sure that you've paid proper market value and get their own third party by way of appraiser to make sure that everything is on the up and up with the pricing and the value. And uh, nobody's gotten carried away emotionally in making an offer on this property. Yeah. So that's protecting both sides as well. It totally I was representing a seller recently in the back and forth negotiating. We actually got to a point where the buyer was offering an amount where I started to think that maybe they should put in a condition of finance to protect the seller just in case the buyer actually maybe was a little higher than they should be. We didn't end up going there, but isn't that weird that to protect my seller, I was going to say, buyer, put a condition of finance in here so that this doesn't end up in court at some point, you know, three, four months from now. So that's the kind of market we're in. 
right? Everyone's, I was texting with an agent today and, and they said, it's all of us against the market right now, not against each other. I think agents are being more cooperative than ever at trying to get these things put together and conditions help that. It, they totally help. I mean, how much does that help the buyer psychology if they can cush or pad their offer with conditions for a bonus due diligence, bonus time, they can cross-reference everything, they can check with their lender, they can make sure the appraisal is going to be okay, and they can have all these checks and balances before firming up. Like, gosh, this just makes the buyer's market even just more amazing is that you get to offer with conditions something you would never be able to do in a seller's market. It's funny, the psychology too, as you're saying that, I'm realizing that in these changing times, it's almost like a bit of a hangover where we're so trained for so many years to be like, no, 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 we, we don't do that. We can't do that. That we're, we're almost like kind of stuck on the pattern of how we've been doing things. Mm-hmm. So there's an adjustment for all of us, I think, to, to kind of adapt here, pick this up and, and run with it in a different direction. And it's hard to make that change. I totally when agree. When you're so used to the way things were. Yes. And what are the advantages of multiple showings? So when you go to the house the first time, you know, you might like it and you might see, you know, oh, I really like the look of this kitchen and I really like the look of these hardwood floors or the view. When you go back and when you have, again, the benefit buyers of going back for the second or third time, what should you be looking at when you go back and have that extra time? As an interesting aside, I was thinking about how we bought our property up north in the middle of COVID. And uh, it was a 10-acre property. And it was at night. And it was raining. And we knew that there was going to be multiple offers on this property like any second. And we offered on it without even fully seeing the property. <laughs> in the daylight. In the daylight. Uh, we managed to get a conditional offer on it, but that just goes to show you how in a market where things move really quickly that people need to make really, really, really fast decisions. And it's definitely not for the nervous uh, or the faint of heart. And I think it's really advantageous to be able to go and see a property a couple times to think about, well, okay, this kitchen isn't ideal, but how would we renovate it? to make it work and what would the cost be and how can we factor that into uh, our acquisition costs or you know what work needs to be replaced and what would we need to do right away versus in the future. And it gives buyers the opportunity to bring family members back. It gives them the opportunity to do a lot of different things that they just wouldn't be able to do in a typical Toronto market and most likely a year from now may not be able to do again. So. What a, what a great window of opportunity if you're looking to buy comparative to what we typically see and will at some point go back to uh, in the Toronto market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of the same things. I'm glad that you added you can bring family because it really helps if you can get the support of friends or family that that where their opinion matters to you. Or mom and dad. Who are, or mom and dad, exactly, especially if they're helping to pay for it. And the other thing is I think you get a chance to, it's kind of like a second date right? The first date goes great, but you get to stand outside of yourself and say, okay, can I, do I get that same reaction the second or third time, right? The first time I walked through the door, I was wowed. It looked great. Does it look as great, you know, on Saturday afternoon in the middle of a thunderstorm 
when it's dark and gloomy in here, does it still work for me? Yes. Sober, sober second thought. Yeah. And you can just really go through the, you know, you can go through the inspection and you can think about, does this ergonomically work for us? Like do, where would we mm-hmm. put our furniture? Like, does it make Did s- I get tricked by fancy tile and yes. beautiful staging? Are the bones of this really as good as I thought the first time yes. around? Sorry to interrupt No, you. I just totally agree. And that's something, it's like a privilege that buyers can only do right now in this market and not something, even us as agents, I'm like, we went back and saw a house for the third time over the weekend. I'm like, I don't think I've ever done a third showing before. Like I almost felt like writing to the agent, I'm so sorry, I'm booking a third showing. Is this weird? <laughs> the I'm, agent was probably over the moon. <laughs> I've never done this before. What happens when you book a third showing? <laughs> And then is there any advantage? I'm just thinking about this. Do you think that buyers could take advantage of requesting a longer closing in this market? And why would that be helpful to them? Well, we're in a market right now where typically in Toronto, you would always buy first and then sell. Mm -hmm. The challenge that a lot of home buyers are having is there's uncertainty around selling their home. So, and interestingly enough, as much inventory is out there, there's not a lot of great inventory because the great inventory tends to sell. And so there still is on low rise, a bit of FOMO when you're looking at a great property. And so sometimes you're in a position where it's like, okay, I've been looking for a year and this is the first property I've seen that I actually like. And if this opportunity at whatever price surpasses me, I could wait another year. I might miss this window. But at the same point in time, if I buy first, will I be able to sell my home? Mm-hmm. And so a longer uh, irre- a longer closing period can do two things. It can allow the purchaser to have more time to sell their principal property. If they need to. If they need to. And it could allow the seller who might be selling before they buy the opportunity to sell their property, but have time to find something that works on the buy side for them. And so it, it, while still living in their principal mm-hmm. residence. So in this situation, you're going to see probably a lot more, especially in low rise, you're going to see a lot more longer closing dates that is mutually beneficial to the positioning of both parties, especially if the buyer has to sell their own principal residence in order to make it work. So let's just be clear about what typical closings are. So in Toronto, in a seller's market, typically after an offer goes firm to the time that it actually closes and keys are exchanged, that is typically 30, maybe 60 days. In this market, just as Ralph was referencing, these longer closings could work to the advantage of both the buyer that may need to sell and a seller that may need to purchase. And I think we're going to start seeing closings between 90 and 120 days. The other advantage for buyers out there that are listening about thinking and considering are there advantages of me buying in the buyer's market? Yes, there are. Is if you do have a longer closing and you are not having to sell something and you're living at home, for example, or you're renting, it just gives you more time to get your shit together, more time to save a little extra money, more time to tuck away for furniture, more time to tuck away some extra cash for renovations. So you've just got time on your side to get organized and you're not rushed into all of a sudden having to pay your mortgage. So I think that buffered window could really work for both sides. And I think that in negotiations, agents and their clients should really be considering 
how to manage through the closing dates. Mm -hmm. I have one one comment and one question. Yes. Uh, the comment is, uh, I just did a deal uh, within the last month where it is a long closing, but also we wrote up a custom clause that basically said um, we can pull that date forward if the buyer has a surprise quick sale because both parties agreed if this closed in 60 days instead of 90, that would be great, provided that everybody's on that same page. So that's also an option. Choose choose 90, play it safe, and then bring it down or choose 120 and play it safe and bring it down. Yes. You know, if everybody's agreeing. I totally agree um, my, my question, just because I think that we should put it out there, it's not so much a question as a comment that I think we should address is the risk of the market changing over 90 or 120 days and what that might mean. And Ralph, I think I'm going to throw that at you. Well, listen, markets can do anything. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the expectation in our current circumstances is, is that things will get worse before mm -hmm. they get better. So to the buyer, the concern is, is they may have challenges selling their property, mm -hmm. uh, which could put them into a difficult situation. And to the seller, if the buyer is not in a position to close, there, there definitely is some risk. Uh, typically, uh, the best way to help mitigate that from the outset is to come in with a stronger deposit, which would give the seller confidence that there's enough skin in the game that they aren't going to walk away. And if they were forced to, they could find a way to close. Right. I think it needed saying. I think that's a great point. And do you think that there's a difference for the purchaser that is a first-time homebuyer in this market versus somebody who might be upgrading or somebody who might be downsizing, who in the buyer's market has the biggest strategic advantage right now? I actually just had this conversation with somebody literally right before we jumped oh, on. Oh, really? Yeah, and they were um, looking at uh, investing in a pre-construction project and they started to get a little bit hesitant about moving forward given their situation. And their situation was they have a fair amount of cash put aside and they are currently renting. And so we had a good long conversation about their situation. And I was just like, you have the ultimate position right now. This is the ultimate buyer. She does not have to sell before she buys. Mm -hmm. So she's no concern there. And she has a significant deposit so that she becomes virtually unaffected by interest rates. Like that is the ultimate position. And I was like, well, you know, taking all this into consideration, your first priority should definitely be to buy something at resale over the next three to six months for sure. So the ultimate advantage, if you're in the position where you don't have to sell and you can just buy and you have a large deposit, I mean, that is the, you are the alpha predator of the Toronto real estate market. Um, but I'd say the secondary level would be if you just didn't have to sell it, even if you had a strong, uh, you know, covenant and 20% deposit, you're still very well positioned and certainly much better than the people who are caught in a buy sell scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I keep telling everyone the best position you can be in is to be a buyer with nothing to sell. And the second best position you could be in is to be somebody who doesn't need to do anything at all right now. I think it would be really hard to be a downsizer right now. Like, I think you could crush it on your purchase and buy an, an awesome condo or a smaller house or a smaller footprint, but selling like a big mega kind of estate 
or a big family home that you've been living in for 20, 30 years that needs a mega renovation and to get this, you know, because that's your retirement nugget. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And usually, usually a lot of downsizers own their their homes outright. Mm-hmm. They're from a different generation than our debt ridden, easy money, Uber eats, Netflix. No, chill. that's true, but they're not yeah. going to be unless they don't need to sell and they can pull equity. Then they buy exactly. Yeah, they exactly. If they if they can buy without having to sell, then they can position themselves in a really good spot a year or 18 months or even two yeah, years down. That's the, I think that would be the only but, only way. But again, they're, they're downsizers positioning themselves where they can buy without selling. Yes. And then I think the upsizer is the one that's probably the most challenging of the three. Between the first-time home buyer that doesn't have to sell anything, the downsizer that possibly could pull equity, as we just talked about, and then the upsizer, that's a challenging one where you have to sell your condo to be able to buy a low-rise or you have to sell your first freehold townhouse to be able to move up the property ladder. Like that's a difficult move to make for sure. So one last question for you both, just to close out this amazing conversation today. What advice do we have as a group for buyers who are feeling overwhelmed by all the options and decisions in this buyer's market? Because we started this with those huge numbers of inventory for both condos and houses, I think in every aspect of your search, if you're feeling overwhelmed, narrow down. So are you doing condo or are you doing freehold? Okay, great. We've picked freehold. What matters most to you? Pick a neighborhood that has all of the attributes of both the house, school district, shopping, transit, whatever it is that you're after, narrow down. Because you have more options and because you have more time and all of these aforementioned things, I would say... Give yourself a little spot in the city where you think you'd like to be and just really focus on that. And I think that recipe would probably win for you. That's great advice. I'm going to say the exact opposite of Ian, but in a different context. Because <laughs> I do agree with what Ian said. <laughs> Zoom out and look at the trajectory of the last 40 years of Toronto real estate. And you'll see like this. And a couple little blips. We're in one of those little blips right now. But if you can zoom out and you can see the big picture, you'll be able to see where things are going because you'll understand what got us to this point. And I think if you get caught up in the minutia, oh my gosh, the Bank of Canada just came out and said this. Whoa, StatsCan came out with a report and they're saying unemployment is up 1.00%. And I just saw this interview and are we in for a hard landing or are we in for a soft landing? Are we in for this and are we in for this? And I was at my friend's house for dinner and their father's grandfather's uncle's cousin's best friend is a developer and they said the market is going to crash like it's 1989. Not going to happen. So I think if you can just zoom out and really focus first principles rationally on where we're at, how we got here, and what needs to happen until things change and what that could look like. I think all of this irrational fear and sound bites and clickbait will start to become irrelevant and your decision will become much clearer. And I also think that there's just so much information out there. You really just have to find your own truth and then just stick to that truth and surround yourself with knowledgeable, smart people who've actually practiced what they preach and have a long track record of experience to help guide you through the pitfalls 
and can help make you make really well-informed decisions that are in your best interest. Yes. Yeah. Like totally, go of that mob mentality. Yes. Too. Yeah. I totally was going to say something similar to Ralph in that if you've got that niggle that you're like, there's an opportunity for me here and I don't really know how to make all of this work and I'm scared shitless about it, but I'm going to figure out my own path and figure out my way find people that have done it before and talk to them about it and say, I'm freaking scared. I'm like scared to do this, but I feel like I could and I want to. And none of my friends are doing it. And my parents are telling me it's a bad idea. My cousin told me it's a really bad idea. And the Starbucks barista told me it's a bad idea, but my gut tells me there's something here. Find people who've done it before. You can talk to any of us anytime and trust me, the first time I ever bought a condo, I was like literally nauseous for like an entire month and my whole body was shaking. I was so freaked out by the fact that I was writing checks like that, that size for those, that pre-construction condo. So I, and, and hearing people's stories about it, you're like, oh my God, I'm not the only one. Like it's, I think you need to hear those anecdotes and work with people that you really trust and that you can just tell all this stuff to, that you feel you can say, like, I am don't understand what interest rates mean. I don't really understand the difference between a fixed and a variable. I don't understand the difference between a semi-detached house and a row house. And I'm really embarrassed that I don't know that, but I need somebody to explain it to me. You want to work with somebody where you can say all of that to plus, 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 plus. And if you can find that person or those people or that group, and you can listen to that niggle because you know you can make a move right now, then you're doing the right thing. And I think that you will be laughing in five to 10 years time. And you'll be like, God, I had some balls. I'm proud of myself. So yeah, trust that, trust that instinct. Totally. For sure. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think this is a really informative discussion and I hope that our viewers feel like they can ask us questions and comment about this because really there is an opportunity here and I'm excited for anyone out there that's looking to make this leap of faith. It costs absolutely nothing to talk to most experts, right? Pick up the phone and call and just have a conversation. See if it makes you feel any better. Yes. See if it makes you feel any wiser. Yes. And that wraps up our discussion into the buyer's market on today's episode. We hope that you now feel equipped and inspired to make decisions that align with your property goals. Remember, The market waits for no one, and an upfront education is a huge key to unlocking its potential. If you've enjoyed our chat today and are more prepared to enter the market, let's keep the conversation going. Comment below to share your insights or questions. Like this video to support our content. And if you haven't already, subscribe and hit that notification bell to stay on top of things, all all the things that are Toronto real estate and more. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, keep an eye out for opportunities. They're knocking. Corey, What do you always like to remind our viewers to do, please? Oh, I would like to remind them to contact us because we're super nice. So nice. So nice. And Ralph, how do you like to sign us out? Well, I'd just like to say that, of course, we love all our viewers at Fox Marin. But if you're watching this right now, it means you've made it to the end and did not drop off. So that means we love you even more. And if you could just show, send a little love our way and smash that like button, hit that subscribe, or just make sure if you have any, 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 any questions, as long as it's constructive, (laughs) we'd absolutely love to hear from you. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. See you next time.